so happy Father's Day to you. And you have uh, the offer of a perfect Heavenly Father. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he taught us to pray. First thing he said was, when you pray, say this. What did he say? Our Father who art in heaven. Amen. So we have a, we have a good, good Father and so glad to have you. So I said I was going to talk to you about, Evan, you can run the thing because it's going to be, yeah. Um, I said I was going to talk to you about power tools that craft a Christian family. And this is especially to encourage dads and grandpas and stuff. But I will just tell you a little secret, and that is everything I say today, everybody can use. You say, well, I don't have kids. Like, do you know how many kids out there that don't have parents? They don't have active parents, right? Or that don't have believing parents? Or do you know how many needy people we have in our world? That Christians who kind of get it can use these power tools to craft something beautiful and lasting. And so I just want to take the next two hours to talk to you about that today. Um, and there are seven points in my little tiny brief Father's Day message so that you guys can get to the brisket. Because I know you're going to have brisket today because you're loved, right? And, uh, and for all of you, and I know it's an emotionally heavy day for a lot of you. Some of you are like me. You just have the greatest dad and... So it's so nice to have a good dad, and some of you know, you know, you just didn't have that. And uh, I want you to know that the Heavenly Father takes a special interest in you, and He always does, and He always will. And uh, so you want to run into His arms, and let Him be a father to you, and then you want, to, you want to love other people and use the tools. So I had my blower go out on, on the air conditioning in the car this week, so I looked it up on YouTube so that I could fix it so that I wouldn't die. And on YouTube, they said, this is a very simple fix. They showed how to do it. And this is what they always do. They always say, and these are the tools you're going to need. These are the tools you're going to need. Am I right? And, uh, and so I go and I buy the tools that I'm going to need, just two simple tools that I needed to have without which you could not do the job. I want to encourage you and let you know that God intends for us to craft beautiful things in our life. He intends for us, especially like in Christian families or to help other people, He has given us the power to craft beautiful things, and He's given us the tools, and the tools, anybody can use them, but believers can use them like power tools. And I just uh, there's seven of them on my heart today that I just thought would be really helpful and meaningful. Okay, here's the first one. First power tool to craft a Christian family is prayer. Now, you, you probably knew I was going to say that, but how important is this? Prayer is like, guys, men and women, prayer is like saying, I'm totally dependent on God. And that's the most important thing you're ever going to do, is to say, God, this life is so hard and broken and complicated and, and that I'm not going to be able to do what really needs to be done unless you help me, right? And so prayer is the first and the continual thing, the first and continual power tool is prayer. So this, and thank you, by the way, for giving me, I, the, I don't know if you knew this, but I get, because I've been in the ministry a long time, I got vacation weeks when I came here, and I got two weeks of outside speaking. So sometimes I take my vacation weeks and outside speaking, and I use my vacation weeks for outside speaking. But anyway, this week... I got to go to the mountains of Kentucky. It was such a tri- uh, delight to go there because it was just a few miles, 18 miles from where my wife was born in Campton. And this week, I preached to a big bunch of teens, a number of them, and some of them got saved that came from Campton, Kentucky, Lewis's hometown. So when a kid would come over to me, and I'd say, where are you from? They'd say, I'm from Wolf County. And did I say that right, Lewis? I'm from Wolf County. 
And it's adorable. In, in Kentucky, they have this endearing habit of when you ask them where they're from, they tell you the county where they're from. Powell County, Wolf County, whatever. And just adorable kids. The, the camp costs 100 bucks a week, and most of the kids didn't pay their own way. Somebody paid their way, and it was a simple, wonderful camp. And the kids, you didn't hear a word of complaint, even though the air conditioning in the chapel didn't work, and the speaker was doggone so long. But anyway, um, it was a wonderful week. But here's the cool thing that happened. All week long I prayed. Because, you know, I just want to go entertain kids. I want to see their lives change. I want to see kids get saved. So all week long, and I'm alone more, you know, so I'm in my room, and I'm just praying. And I'm praying that God will give me the right talks to give. I'm praying that God will help me not to say certain things, to say certain things. I'm praying that God will give me just the right thing to say at the right time. So I go to chapel on Thursday night with a little message that I had written some notes on, some very simple notes. And it was, a, it was a good message and true, but something about it just didn't seem like the right thing to say. This is Thursday night, right? So they're singing. Do you remember we had Sam Judd here to sing? Sam leads the music down at Kentucky Mountain Mission, and he was leading the songs. And a second from the last song, I just took my notes, flipped them over on the other side, and I started scratching out a little talk. I've given it kind of before, but this was a custom made for these kids. And the name of the talk was, How to Keep Your Campfire Burning your whole life long. And I tell stories about people who many years ago put a pine cone in the campfire and vowed to follow God, and they're still following God. And I tell the kids, no matter how hard your life is, many of those kids, their moms are in jail because of alcohol, drugs. Uh, they didn't know their dad. This tough circumstances, when you listen to the kids around the fireside, just heartbreaking circumstances. And I told the kids, you know, God will go with you all the days of your life, and you can walk with the Lord all your life. I told them that on Thursday night. And I, I don't know why I gave the campfire talk on Thursday night, because you know how camp is, right? It ends on Saturday morning, and so on Friday night you have the campfire. But I just felt led of the Lord to give this talk on Thursday night. Halfway through the talk, I said, I know tomorrow night you guys are going to have a campfire. And some of the kids said, that's tonight. What I did not know is the camp ended at noon on Friday, and the last message in the evening was on thursday night and god told me preach the campfire message tonight that was so cool because i thought wow god is listening to my prayers and he's guiding the the words that i say that was just so powerful i was like wow this is awesome dads and everybody else that want to be used to the lord the stuff that we need to do requires the miraculous hand of god right and you don't get that with enthusiasm. You don't get that with hard work. How do you get that? You get that by asking for it. And that's why Jesus taught this. He said much about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. But I'm thinking of Matthew chapter 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened for them. This is just a straightforward, simple teaching of Jesus. What is it in your life? That is really worrying you right now. What is it in your life that you know needs to happen? What is it in your life or family that needs to happen that only God can do? Okay, so pray all the time. Pray and ask God to do it. And prayer is a power tool. By the way, can I say this? You know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy there, in chapter 2 and verse 1, that men everywhere ought to lift up holy hands without wrath. Without doubting. Then when you pray... Like the Bible says that the wrath of man doesn't accomplish the purposes of God in there in James. Men tend to, you know, say, I'm going to make this happen. It's like, guys, 
You're not going to make it happen, man. God makes it happen. Without anger, without force and things, you pray. You ask God, and God will do what you can't do. This is the way to live. Every once in a while, I'll bump into a man that will say, I just can't do, and then fill in the blank. I just can't do it. And that's really a good place to be, guys. When you get to the point where your life, your marriage, your parenting, your job, what needs to be done, you just say, I can't do that. Now you're in a good place, right? Because that's where you should be. I can't do it, but God can do this through me. And for you to get what only God can do, you got to be a man of prayer. So listen, men, women, everybody, if you want to build something lasting, if you want to craft a Christian family, then obviously you just want to get used to talking naturally to God all the time and always asking God for what you need and living in that. Now the second power tool is what I call biblical wisdom. And you have this, you have, you have, the, you have prayer you can use, you have biblical wisdom you can use. Guys, men and women, we have Bibles, right? This is, means that we have the absolute truth of God in our lap in a book. And it's full of wisdom, right? And we can use this wisdom God expects us to. Now, I'm a dad, right? And my grandpa. And, and so over and over again, I have exhorted my kids. The Bible says in the Proverbs, if you open your book, Bible to the Proverbs, and you start reading the first of every proverb, you notice that almost all the first nine, and I think there's another one in maybe 12, they, they start almost exactly the same way. You know how they start? They say, listen, my Son, listen. Listen, my son. And that is that the, the scriptures teach that we as leaders or people that want to craft something beautiful or dads or grandpas ought to have, this assumes we ought to have biblical wisdom. This assumes that we have studied the word of God and that we're knowledgeable about the word of God and that we can give biblical answers to people. It's not a good idea to tell people your opinion. It's a really good idea for you to point people to God's word. And so this is a power tool. We have the power tool of prayer to use to do what no man or woman can do. And we have biblical wisdom. We went out west, I think, we, you know, for Dan's wedding. We went out to New Mexico, and we had a little extra day. So there were, uh, in, and we were in Albuquerque, and there's a mountain range called uh, Sandia Mountain Crest. And there's a the huge, gorgeous mountain range. You can see it um, from anywhere in Albuquerque. And we decided that we would go up on the top of this mountain range. Everybody said, don't miss that. You want to go up on the Sandia Crest. So uh, there were three ways to get up on the Sandia Crest. One of them was to ride a trolley uh, car. Lois was scared to do that. So we decided we wouldn't do it that way. Plus, it was expensive. And the other way was you could climb the face of the mountain. And it just did not seem like the right way to go to me. Climb the face of the mountain. I'm like, at 57, I don't climb the face of nothing, you know. And so, like, we're not doing that. And, uh, and, and then the other way was to take the scenic route up the backside of the mountain. That just sounded nice to me. So we got in the car, and we drove the scenic route, a gorgeous drive, a beautiful drive. Now, the way it's situated, when you get to the lookout point, you literally can see the entire city of, 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 of uh, Albuquerque. You, the entire city, because it's the way it's situated. You can, like, there's our hotel, there's the airport, and you can see everything. Folks, listen, think about this. This is the way it is for us that know the Lord. We can get God's perspective on everything, and we can see things the way they really are, the way God sees them. Now, there's the way you see things, there's the way I see things, and we, we don't have the perspective that God, God has an eternal perspective. He has a divine perspective, and he said, if we ask him for wisdom, he'll give it to us. So, if you want to craft a beautiful family a Christian family, you want to build something good and lasting, then ask God for wisdom. 
and saturate your heart with wisdom from the Word of God. This is a power tool you have. Think about that. So we have the power tool of prayer. We have the power tool of biblical wisdom. Here's a third power tool. I call it loving and giving. Loving and giving. I like what it says in Matthew chapter 7, which Jesus is talking again in the Sermon on the Mount. And I love this. Don't you love it? Or Which one of you, this is chapter 7 and verse 9, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he'll give him a serpent. If you then, I like this part, who are evil, <laughs> if you then who are evil, that's you he's talking to. Yeah. If you then who are evil um, know how to give good gifts to your children, well, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Heavenly Father is a giving, loving Father. He's eager to love you, and he's eager to give to you. Okay, so if you want to influence other people's lives and build something beautiful, you have the same power empowered by the Holy Spirit to give and to love. This is powerful. We, we, uh, Chuck, do you remember? Chuck, thanks for coming for Father's Day, bringing your old family there. Um, do you remember the swing set job that we had years ago? And you were little, and we had a job. Uh, it was a little moonlighting thing so that I could support my ministry habit. And the Lord gave us this job assembling these swing sets, and we got pretty good at it, didn't we? At first we weren't, but we put them together backwards and so forth, and it took a long time. And you couldn't make a lot of money unless you did it really fast. We got it so that we could do it really fast. Chuck had his job. Kyle had his job. I had my job. But it involved a whole lot of screwing things together, big, long wood screws. The whole thing was put together with big, long wood screws, dozens and dozens and dozens of them. Can you imagine what it would have been like, Chuck, if we'd have taken a standard screwdriver and tried to assemble those with a standard screwdriver? That would have just been tedious. We never would have made any money. We would have quit. But we didn't have to use standard screwdrivers. We had power tools. Power tools are wonderful. If you don't know what to get your dad for Father's Day, just go buy him power tools, expensive power tools. Dudes love power tools. I, I can't even fix anything, but power tools and, uh, are fun, right? Now they got them with, you know, the, you can charge them up, and, man, they're just, they're, they're awesome. We had a professional. You've got to understand that, that love is no small tool in God's work. Love is a very powerful tool. Love is a dynamic and powerful thing. Don't ever forget this. Love and kindness. A dad does most of his influence through just simple acts of love, right? You guys know that. And so it is with all of us. Love and giving are power tools. Let me give you an example. When, when Wes was younger, he wouldn't mind me telling you this. Wes loves the Lord. He's walking with the Lord. He's a married guy now. But when he was here in the church, and he was maybe about 14 years old, the one thing I noticed about him, and I talked with some of the men in the church. We had some fellowship about this and pray for our sons and so forth he hadn't really spiritually taken hold yet i mean he would say the right things and 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 he was a nice boy but but spiritually i was watching for something deeper i I wanted to catch him reading his bible praying being concerned for lost people i just i think a, a young person has to kind of step across and really take hold spiritually and i had i felt like that hadn't happened with wesley and so i thought what should i do you know i've talked to him a lot my goodness if you're my kid Any of you, you got to hear me talk all the time. I'm exhorting and preaching, drag you to camp, preach there. I was getting ready to preach the other night, and I asked the kids to pray for me. They sent me a series of texts of all the things they knew I was going to be saying. They know everything. They literally were just answering, like a catechism, they answered every question. So I guess I'm not that original. But, but anyway, so I'm like, well, I can't just set Wes down and talk to him some more. And he'd be really nice about that. 
Here's what I decided to do. I decided I would use the power tool of love and ask God to use. And so he wanted to play football that year. So here's what I decided to do. I decided that that year when he played football, I was going to ask him to skip Wednesday night so that he could come to the youth group. And so he didn't practice. He, they let him do that. It was a city league. And so he skipped on Wednesday night. We skipped on Wednesday night. And then I arranged my rest of my schedule. Unless somebody died or was gravely ill in the hospital or something, I arranged the rest of my schedule so that I would leave the office and I would go over and I watch his practice over in Riverview every night. Every night. I'd take him to his practice. I'd take my little folding chair or I'd stand by the fence and I made up my mind every time he looked up, I was going to be right there. And I was going to talk to him on the way. I was going to talk to him on the way home. And I was going to bless him. And I wasn't going to ask him for anything. I was just going to love him. That was a, that was a sweet football season. He started, he, they didn't win anything, but he played every position. It's a really bad, he's not here so I can say this. It was really a bad team he was on. But he, so, but he got, he got, you know, starting roles and everything. But it was, I don't know if they won. But he had a great week, great, great season. It was that summer that we, uh, they asked me to go up, come up and speak at, at Lake Ann. I got the morning slot, and Ken Ruff got the evening slot. So that was a fun thing for me. And it was that year, I think maybe Wednesday night or Thursday night, I was standing on the back of the chapel up at Lake Ann. Ken Rudolph gave an invitation, and I saw Wesley get up and go forward and kneel down and pray. And I watched his life after that. He'd be reading his Bible. He'd be writing Christian lyrics. God took a hold of him. He used that camp. He used Ken Rudolph. I know he did. You know what I think? I think he also used the power tool of love that I showed him I loved him. If you got somebody you want to influence, there's no more powerful thing you can do than just simply love them in Christ's name. Every time in the fall of the year, I go by Young Patriots Park on the way home, and I see all those little Riverview pirates out there in their yellow pants and their wine uh, jerseys. I have a happy feeling in my heart about that time that I got to love my boy. It's a sweet thing to do. It's fun. Guys, you know, you may be overwhelmed. You may feel like, it didn't work, and, you know, they're not going to forget your acts of love. They're going to come back years, maybe even after you're dead, men. They're going to remember. And sometimes when they're more mature, they'll realize what you did. There's a great Christian leader that took a picture this week, I noticed, of an old lunchbox, an old lunch pail. This guy's got degrees on top of degrees, but his, man, his dad was a, was a working man, and he kept his lunch pail. And he took a picture. His dad's long since been the Lord. He says, my dad took this lunch pail to work every day as an act of love for me. Gentlemen, be encouraged. And all of you, moms, all of you, be encouraged when you love people. It's a power tool. And here's a fourth power tool. Tenderness, meekness, patience, and mercy. That's kind of like, sounds like four, but if you, if you look at, at Galatians, I was just thinking about this when I wrote this. Uh, in Galatians, you know, 19, 16, uh, chapter 5, verses 16 and following, it's that uh, description of the walking in the Spirit and, the, you know, the works of the flesh and the walking in the Spirit and the description. Just think about this. When you read this, um, I say walk in the Spirit. This is uh, Galatians five sixteen, And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, the desires of the flesh against the Spirit, desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Verse 19, it, it, it says the works of the flesh are, are evident and it lists this, this nasty list of sinful things. And, and then it says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, you know this, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. A lot of that stuff doesn't seem manly, 
to people whose minds are distorted by our world. But they are manly arts. They are manly qualities. They're, they're Christ-like qualities. Gentleness, only strong, capable, confident men can be meek and gentle. It's not that hard to intimidate somebody that's smaller than you or lighter than you or, or if you're you know, a big talker. That's not leadership, right? That, you're not going to win your wife's heart. You're not going to influence your kids by bullying them. That's just not ever going to work, right? Go away from that as fast as you can and realize the power of gentleness and tenderness and meekness and mercy. These are powerful, rare, beautiful gifts and you'll get much more accomplished. They are power tools. That's, what the, that's why the, the Scripture says the wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God, that men should lift up holy hands without wrath. My dad would use a crescent wrench every once in a while. My grandfather, when he used it, my grandfather was from southern Ohio, and this is the same gene pool, southern Ohio down there, and West Virginia, and eastern Kentucky, it's the same gene pool, the same people, right? No, I'm not, not, it really is. I mean, it's just the same, I'm not being mean, I'm just saying, we're all the same folk that come from, like if you came from this side of the river, or you came from this side of the river, but my grandfather, he worked in Newark, Ohio, and guys would commute in from West Virginia, so the, the jokes that my grandfather told were always West Virginian jokes. He would always make fun of West Virginians, which is where our people came from, Kentucky and West Virginia, over in, you know, so, but he would always make these jokes. So my grandfather, whenever he'd get a crescent wrench out to, to do a job, he would say, he'd want me to get the crescent wrench, he'd say, hey, Kenny, hand me a hillbilly socket set, which was his way of saying, and I was confused by that because I was dumber than a West Virginian, but anyway, he'd be like, give me a hillbilly socket set, and I'd be like, what's that? And he'd go, you don't know what a hillbilly socket set is? You don't know, sorry, honey, it wasn't Hillbilly. It was West Virginia socket set. When, before I was married, I thought Hillbilly was a put-down. After I got married, my wife straightened me out about that, that Hillbilly is not a put-down at all. It's a, something you wear as a badge of honor. Anyway, Hillbilly socket set. It's a tool that you can use for a lot of different things. Well, here's what my grandpa always said about that. Every time he would say this, he would say, if you get yourself a craftsman uh, uh, crescent wrench, that thing won't break. And they're guaranteed for life. That's what he would say. It won't break. It's guaranteed for life. And then he would always say, unless you put six foot of galvanized pipe on the end and use it for a lever. Am I right about that, Chris? He says, then you can break them. And so he said one time he broke one like that. And he took it in to get his free replacement. And the lady just looks up at him and says, six foot of galvanized pipe. Am I right? He goes, yes. How did you know? She says, that's the only way you can break one of these things. Now, here's the thing I'm trying to get at. Guys, listen. You, you can see things that need to happen in your family. You can see things your wife should see. You should see things your wife. You can see things your wife probably should do or not do. You can. You're you're smart. You've been around the horn a few times. You can see the direction your kids ought to go, but you can't force them to do what is right. You can't force it. Now I haven't worked on a lot of things in my life, but I have figured out that if you force stuff, something's wrong. Right? You're going to break it. If you force it. This is really what I'm trying to say about wrath and anger. And hear me out now. You, you might say, well, you know, I have lived a pure life. And I take my kids to church. And, and I believe the Bible. And yet, if you don't get a handle on this anger thing, you can ruin everything you try to build. You can destroy everything you try to build. I know what I'm talking about. I've seen it 
hundreds of times, men, anybody, I'm just telling you this. If anger is a part of your life, ask God to deliver you. Don't force stuff. Ask God to give you gentleness, meekness, patience, kindness, self-control, mercy. These are the real men. These are the powerful men. These are the influential men and women, the ones who God has worked within us that we don't force things. This is so important. I wish I could describe it in a better way. Number five, power tool, listening and encouragement. First Thessalonians chapter 2 says like a father encourages his child. Listens and encourages his child. It's not just given commands. My wife says to me every once in a while, do you have a pocket knife on you? She'll say this every once in a while. And I feel a bit emasculated because I don't have a pocket knife. And then my wife always says the same thing. She says, if I was a man, I would always have a pocket knife. Which is a little bit like your wife saying, you're not a real man. You know, it's just kind of like, well, I was thinking about that, honey. And here's the way I look at it. Which is more powerful, a sword or a pocket knife? A sword. And the Bible says a pen, or the, 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 the word is, a pen is mightier than the sword. And I always have a pen on me. So... In case you're wondering, I am a real man. I am a real man. The Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words really do have enormous power. And so I just want to challenge you and encourage you, listen, listen, listen. And then a few well-placed words are very, very powerful. They are power tools. Number six, and this is a big one. Guys and everybody, confession is a power tool. The Bible says this in Proverbs, whoever covers his sins... What's the rest? Will not prosper. Guys, you want to prosper, right? You want to prosper in building a Christian home? You want to prosper and influence in childless, uh, fatherless kids? You want to prosper in your Sunday school class and your business? If you cover your sins, you will not prosper. But isn't that the number one instinct a man has? I can't admit that I did something wrong because I'm going to kind of lose my footing here. But the, the, believe God, he who covers his sins will not prosper. And the rest of it is, and whoever confesses and forsakes those sins, God will show mercy on him. So this is money in the bank. This is a very powerful power tool. I was at a conference speaking a number of years ago, and I was standing up on the upper concourse in this conference, and, and there was a man that was in his family. They were standing off a bit, and the others were, were talking to me. And when the others walked away, this man walked over to me with his family. They were all His wife was standing right with him, and then all of his little children were around. And this guy, was, you could, he was like trembling. And he goes, I have a really big problem. And like he couldn't get to the big shots at the conference, so he saw me and he decided to talk to me. He goes, I just need to talk to somebody. And he's given me permission to tell you this. He said, I, I, I did something really wrong, and I was caught. And I'm in the military, and it may cost me my job. And I'm afraid it's going to cost me my marriage. And I'm afraid it's going to cost me my family. And I need you to pray for me. So I listened to him for a while. His name was Boone. I said to him, Boone, you know, I don't know you, but I know this. Don't hide your sin. Confess it. Be honest and open. Take whatever punishment you have. Be right with the Lord. And even if you lose your job, maybe you will save your wife. And even if you lose your job, maybe you will save your kids. And then I realized when people are that devastated, they need you to give them hope. They need, and hope is like a bright picture of future, a confident picture of, the, of a good future. So I said to him, Boone, listen, you, if you trust God in this and you confess your sin and you just make things right, someday we'll meet again at one of these conferences. 
and one of these family conferences. And, we will, and your family will be together. And we will rejoice together. Let's make a deal. We'll meet at one of these conferences. He could hardly believe that would happen. And over the years, God allowed him to keep his family together. And then over the years, a number of times I've gone back to that conference. And every time I go, guess who's always waiting somewhere in line? It's Boone and his family, his wife and his kids all together. They always come up to me and they go, thank you so much. We're together. And the last time I saw him, because he's a military guy, I don't know, I guess military guys, they have this, um, I don't know why about this, but I guess they have a thing, they have a medallion. They sometimes exchange with, with some, a comrade or something. And he reached in his pocket and he got this beautiful medallion. And it was, um, it was patterned after uh, the big medallion, bigger than that. And it was patterned after the, the Christian's warfare. And it was a thick, heavy medallion. And he pressed it in my hand. Every time I meet with him, I pray with him and his family, just get him a little circle, and I pray with him. And they always thank me, and he put that medallion in my hand. Now, that guy, in order to keep his family together, it couldn't have happened if he wasn't willing to confess his sin and just make things right. He was able to win his wife's confidence and trust. He was able to keep his children's confidence and trust. And it's a power tool to confess. But, men, that might be the hardest thing that you ever do is just honestly look the people that, in the eye that you've hurt. This is, kind of separates the men from the boys. Men that really have powerful spiritual influence are not men who covered their sin. They're men who admit their sin. Uh, yesterday I left and Lois said something to me. I said something sharp back to her and then I went out the door. And then immediately the Holy Spirit hit me like that wasn't right. And immediately I called her and she answered the phone and said, I forgive you. And I said, thank you, honey. I just, I don't want to sin. But what's, our lives are just going to come apart if we don't confess our sin. And so I just, that's a treasure I just gifted you right there. I don't care who you are. I just gifted you a biblical treasure right there. And you might even go over your life and just say, God, is there anything I need to make right? Is there anybody I need to make, make things right? And then before the Lord, and he's so eager to forgive you. He's a good, good father. Amen. He's so eager to forgive you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. It's all going to be good. Now, the seventh is the glory of God. This takes just a wee bit of explanation. This is really interesting. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there's an enigmatic, kind of mysterious uh, passage of Scripture that's always been this interesting passage, like can be kind of hard to understand. Let me read it to you. Isn't that passage about the head covering of the women and so forth? Here's what it says um, in verse 7. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. That doesn't mean a man's never supposed to wear a hat. But that's where the tradition, the old tradition that men don't wear hats inside of a building comes from, and, and especially a church, is because the idea is you don't put a hat on while you're praying. That's the idea, right? So it's just a symbolic way of saying, you know, a lot of old guys, you'll notice them, they, they, they would never leave their cap on while they're praying. They'll always take their hat off, and, and it's a great tradition, and it comes from there. But well, why is that? Because the Bible says, because a man is the glory of God, and then it's kind of an, odd, then it says, and the woman is the glory of man. So what's that all about? Men and women are spiritually equal, you know, right? Amen? Say Amen. That's very true. Women and women are spiritually equal. Say amen when I say that. Okay. Men and women are spiritually equal. We have different roles, though, right? I never nursed a baby, right? Because you just can't do it. 
I never bore a child. I just can't do it, right? So we have different roles. That doesn't mean that I'm, that, I'm sorry if that was a little too direct. But, you know, right? I mean, you just, you just can't do it. It looks sweet, but you, you can't do it. Not that you're worse. It's just you're different, right? Now, the way God structured this, you know, so a woman can go directly to God through Christ, just like a man goes directly to God through Christ. But in the, in the home, the way it's supposed to work is this. The man is supposed to give leadership. And how does he give the leadership? His proximity to God, his fellowship with God, his intimacy with God. He goes to be with God. He lives in the presence of God. It, almost like, remember, when Moses went into the presence of God, and then when he came out, people go, whoa, he's been with God. How did they know? Because his face was glowing with the presence of God. In a very real sense, according to the scriptures, if you study all of them, a man, his greatest power is to be in the presence of God, is to live with an awareness of the reality of God and in fellowship with God. If you want to really be an inf- a spiritually influential man who will influence people for eternity for good, you have to be the kind of person who has the glow of God on you. And the only way to get the glow of God on you is to, go, is to, be, to live in the presence of God with a sense of the awareness of the presence of God and an inner admiration of God until you literally glow, or you don't literally glow, but you spiritually glow with Christ-likeness. And you are the reflection of God. So the passage is saying a man is supposed to be a reflection of God in the home. A man is supposed to live with God and reflect his love and grace and beauty and mercy and kindness and all of it and his, his conviction of God into the home. And the way it's supposed to work in the home then is that the woman admires her husband and she's with him and she picks up on that and she glows with a radiance that comes from living with a man who glows with a radiance that comes from living with God. Isn't that beautiful? This is a power tool. How can you powerfully influence other people then? Have the glow of God on you by living in fellowship with the Lord. A constant awareness of the reality of God and the love of God. And that's like constant, come moment by moment worship as a man makes you a genuinely godly man. And then, and some guy said, and maybe it isn't fair, but he said, sometimes he said you can evaluate the spiritual uh, temperature of a church by watching the countenance of the women. Isn't that interesting? That's always been convicting when I heard that. Because a woman who has a husband... Who's, who's glowing with the fellowship of God will be a woman who's glowing with the fellowship of God. So there's a challenge, men, to live with God in such a way that your wife's heart rejoices. Can I just tell you this little bit of truth? And I'll just give you this. The Bible says this. Gentlemen, one of the most important things you can do in your life, and you have a biblical mandate to do it, is make your wife happy. Make your wife happy. You go, that would be a lifelong job. I'm not, totally, that's it. You just got it. From now until her little heart doesn't beat anymore, your job is to see if you can make her happy. From now until your heart doesn't beat anymore, your job is to see if you can make her happy. That you may please his wife. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians. There's something godly about pleasing your wife. Now, ladies, please don't take advantage of your husband now. You know, That's mean. That's mean. Don't just send him on, you know, pointless errands. And, and don't, don't pout like, you're not, you didn't make me happy yet. I, my diamond is too small. Don't do that. That's not nice. Don't do stuff like that. I'm not talking about that. But this is a, a powerful thing, the glory of God. Now, how do you empower all of those things? How do you empower 
how do you plug these tools in? Because if you think about it, almost all these things are, are things that a person who didn't even know the Lord could really use to be influential in their family or business, right? And that is wisdom and, and, and kindness and so forth like that. How do you empower these things? And I'll just say two things real quick. One, obviously, they're empowered by the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, the righteousness of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Men who kind of understand things, they're always defaulting back to the gospel. It's not, I'm a good guy. No. It is, I'm a, I'm a hopeless sinner, fallen and broken, and I have indwelling sin, but I serve Jesus Christ who's perfectly righteous, and you're always pointing your soul to Jesus' righteousness. You're always pointing your wife to Jesus' righteousness. You're always pointing your children to Jesus' righteousness. You're not just giving them moral lectures all the time. Don't give yourself moral lectures all the time. You just crush yourself because in your flesh dwells no good thing. Preach the gospel to yourself all the time. Preach the gospel, live the gospel, remind your family of the gospel, love the gospel. The gospel's a thing, and the power of the Holy Spirit. These are the things that God will use. Now, the night before Daniel's wedding, we decided the guys were going to have like a bachelor time, and and we we, were, we ended up being in the uh, ended up being in the in the hotel room. And I always wondered how that would work out because my boys are all just rogues and crazy, you know. So I'm always like, what are they going to do? I mean, Chuck is there. Chuck's there. It's always going to be a party, you know. And so how's this going to work? And uh, it was pretty cool on it. Chuck, Dale, you were there. And, and it, was, it was sweet. So we all just kind of crunched into a hotel room there. And we just had some, something to eat and talk and so forth. And then I said, hey, why, why don't we all just, um, each of us, share a blessing with Dan and then have a word of prayer for him and Kate. And every one of the guys did that. And it got sweeter and sweeter as they did it. There was a guy that was a friend of our family that was there, rest for family, and a friend of the family. And there was a friend of a friend of a family that we didn't want to leave him out, so we invited him. And he was a stranger to us. A nice guy, and he's there. And, and it just seemed like, if you notice this, Chuck, as the testimonies and prayers went on, it got sweeter and deeper and like more just precious. And, the, and then... I, when I was sharing a blessing with Dan, this guy, this visitor guy, just started to weep. I noticed he was just weeping. We said goodnight, and the next Kyle texts him, and he says, I don't know if you know what happened in there, but that guy, he was raised by his mom. His dad abandoned him, and he was raised by his mom. He came over to me and said, that was the neatest thing I've ever seen. All over this sad, sorry, broken world are boys and girls without the proper spiritual direction. And you have power tools. And you have the gospel. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can bless them. I wish you could have heard the testimonies around the fire of those kids in the mountains. It would have just crushed you. It would have broke your heart. And yet, it's not different in the mountains than right here, even in our church, right? Now, folks, listen. This is exciting, right? These tools that we have are empowered by God to do something beautiful and something that lasts. Nobody in this room has an excuse not to have a meaningful life now, right? Because we can find somebody and we can build something that lasts. Years and years ago, 
We used to we used to drive to South Bend, Indiana, where my grandparents were from, my mom's parents. And my grandpa, Shipley, was sort of a jack-of-all-trades. And he worked at Notre Dame in the maintenance department and fixed things. But before that, he worked in construction. And they had built a unique house. My, my mom said it was round and it had pie-shaped rooms, which that would not appeal to me. But anyway, it's unique, right? And my mom would always say that. She'd say every time we drove to South Bend and we'd go the back way through Cassopolis, mom would always say, my daddy... She called Grandpa Shipley Daddy. My daddy built a round house over there with pie-shaped rooms. And I, I think about that today, and I wonder, when you're gone from this earth, and maybe your kids are still here, your grandkids are here, if you use these power tools, something will last. Something beautiful will last. And I hope it's not a round house with pie-shaped rooms. That's just weird. Hopefully it's something like you touch the lives of people.